Hey, seasoned athletes, I'm Robin Leggett, and this is episode 55 of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. Seasoned Athlete is your home for inspiring stories and motivational advice from competitive athletes representing a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We're here to prove one story at a time that age does not have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. To learn more about this podcast and see show notes from this or any episode, visit seasonedathlete.me. And if you like what you hear, I would love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Today's guest is cyclist and fitness coach Marissa Axel. As someone who recently crossed the threshold to qualify to be on this podcast, Marissa is navigating the world of being a baby master in her sport, as she calls it. Marissa drops some great knowledge bombs regarding training, discipline, and mindset, and her interview is a fantastic listen for everyone from those looking to set some positive habits and a regular fitness routine to those looking to challenge themselves in new ways. With that said, let's get to our conversation. Here is Marissa Axel. Hi, Marissa. Hey. Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? Heck yes. I got lots of bombs to drop. You are Marissa Axel, a personal trainer, coach, and competitive cyclist. You're a team captain on Revolution Racing Team in the San Francisco Bay Area and a USA Cycling Category 1 in road cycling and Category 2 on the velodrome. You have earned five national podiums so far in USA Masters Road Cycling. And when not competing, you're creating impact through health and fitness transformations with your Axel Fitness Works coaching and personal training business and at 17th Street Athletic Club in San Francisco. Is there anything vital personally, professionally, or from your athletic life that you'd like to take a quick moment to fill in? No, I think I'm just ready to jump into it. Well, then let's do that. From here, I'm going to ask the big question that I ask all my guests, and that is, what is your age at this moment in time? Uh, 40 and six months. <laughs> 40 and six months. So you're technically what I would call a baby seasoned athlete on this show. You're on the, you just barely qualify. We call ourselves baby masters. <laughs> baby masters. But technically you get to be a master. So uh, own that. So yeah. um, let's start from the beginning. When did you start playing sports and what did your early athletic life look like? Well, anything that involved uh, running or anything bouncing a ball, I was terrible at. So that quickly ruled out all team sports. <laughs> but, um, I actually had a health situation when I was, I don't know, young, like fifth grade maybe. And the doctors were like, Hey, you should try swimming indoors. Cause it's humid. It's better for your lungs. So quickly signed up and got onto the swim team and in Oregon, which is where I grew up, most every single pool is indoors. So I started at like everybody does at like the YMCA little, you know, little fishes and went all the way through to the local swim team and just kept going all the way through college. <laughs> Turns out I really liked it. So yeah, yeah that, it, it spoke to you because you stuck with it. I did. 13 years of my youth spent in the pool. And what was it about swimming that, that you liked and caused you to stick with it for so long? Well, I think part of it is the social aspect. You know, I get to see your friends every day or three times a week. Um, and then as you rise through the ranks, you start to realize the seriousness of this is an Olympic sport. And maybe someday I could dream and go to the Olympics. And then um, you get into like high school and then maybe college and you realize maybe that's a ticket to going to college. So, I mean, initially I did it because it was fun and then I got more serious about it. And that's not to say it wasn't fun. It was just much more structured, but I love the structure. And that's even to this day, I remember writing my college entrance essays and just talking about time management and structure and how much I valued swimming for teaching me that. So, um, I, to this day still prefer to have a schedule in terms of um, my workouts. I still like to have a coach to tell me what to do. <laughs> and, um, I really enjoyed the life lessons that I ended up learning just by being in such a uh, depth of that sport for so many years. Yeah. So the swimming and the, the structure and the training and the coaching and everything, it sounds like it really informed how you live your life to this day. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. There was, um, like you said, time management and 
kind of a sense of gut it out because it doesn't, it's not always fun. So that grit and determination really started to come into play probably through high school when you're starting to make like regional teams and going to regional competitions and my big goal is to go to nationals and all of these things. So there's a lot of times where your shoulders hurt and your legs hurt and nothing feels good and you just stick it out and try anyway. And that is definitely echoed through my twenties and thirties and now into my forties. And no matter if it's sport or business or what, you know, you stick it out and try your best. So you eventually transitioned from swimming to triathlon. Uh, Can you talk about how and when that happened and why that happened? Yeah. Well, so I retired quote unquote using air quotes here from swimming competitively in the pool at age 21, I think. Um, I was done with college. I um, I got to be actually, fun fact, become a uh, member of my collegiate All-American, not All-American, but collegiate um, Hall of Fame for being on the swim team that year. It was so cool. Wow. Uh, yeah, we, we had a really great team and we did really well at our nationals. So, but um, long story short, I quote unquote retired because I was done with early morning practice. And I was, I, if you ask any former swimmer, they'll tell you a version of this. I hate getting wet. <laughs> Which is such an it's odd weird. thing. That's I such know, an odd think, thing to hear. I'm done with it. I'm done getting wet. So I'll get wet when I take a shower, but I'm ready to like do other sports. But um, fortunately, I actually had a good I, I actually ended up at the YMCA, just like a, a random job in between other jobs, but I found the triathlon club there and loved it. So I, that's, I was swimming of course. And my tri coach was like, Hey, do you want to coach swimming? Cause she knew that I had been a coach earlier. And I says, sure. Um, also I'll swim with the master's team and you know, it's an instant group of friends and it was fun to have a place to be in my early twenties. So that was great. But then I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to get a bicycle and I don't know how to ride or in traffic and what's going on. Um, and I sort of, let's just say I learned how I I know how to run, but I run like a swimmer, which is to say not very good. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but I, I was born then a triathlete and being in the SF Bay area, there's so many outdoor opportunities. So I just tried to take advantage as, of as many as I could. And I had promised myself, and I feel like this is very much echoed throughout the rest of my athletic career too, is that if it is not fun, you're not going to do it. If it stops being fun, you're done. So I had to really find a way to make sure that I was having fun and to make like sticking to practices you don't want to do and saying no to going to happy hour. It had to be worth it for me. And I really found that shift was really important because I think even through high school and college swimming, I felt like I wasn't doing it for me necessarily, even though I was. But you do get caught up in like, well, my team expects this, my coach expects that, my parents expect this, and that's all in your head, which I learned later. But um, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And so once I quote unquote retired from that competition of swimming, I was like, I'm just going to have fun and see where it goes. Um, And that's what I did, you know, and of course... My attitude was like, well, if I can do a sprint, an Olympic is next. And if I can do an Olympic try, then I can do a half. And I have the funniest stories. I only chose like the hardest triathlons as my first quote unquote first triathlons, except for my sprint. But like my first Olympic was this insane hill climb of a bicycle ride and crazy run at elevation. And then my first, it was up in the Sierras up by Donner Lake. It was crazy. Mm. And then my first um, half Ironman was down at Wildflower, which is known to be very hot, very hilly, unrelenting courses. And everyone looked at me like I was insane. Like, why would you make that your first? (laughs) I was like, what do I know? Right. A, you don't know any better. And B, it only gets easier from there. Right. Surely. I'm like, it can't be that bad. So fortunately, <laughs> it wasn't that bad. And I was young enough and, you know, innocent enough that I didn't know what I wasn't missing. But um, yeah. And then after those, I was like, in a couple, you know, maybe after two years of doing some tries, I was like, I want to do an Ironman. I want to go for the biggest and mm-hmm. the best. So then um, I found a really amazing group of women to train with at my tri club. So there's five or six of us. We're all still friends. Uh, we call ourselves team win in an ironic way because we are always out there to finish and to have fun. And if it's not fun, we weren't going to do it, but then we'd always get passed by some like dude, you know, wearing ridiculous clothes. And like, he's like, ah, there's a group of women. I have to get past them. And we would always be like, you're winning. (laughs) So 
Um, we called ourselves jokingly team win and we still get together, even though most of them all have kids and they don't do athletics anymore. It's still fun because we have such a deep bond from hours and hours and months of training together. So I hear that all the time. I actually, a few things you talked about, I hear all the time from the athletes that I interview. Number one, many of them choose the hardest thing first, like the marathon runners that I talk to a lot of them. The story that I hear is they didn't say, oh, I started with a 5K and then moved up. A lot of them are like, no, I did a marathon as my first race. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I get I hear these stories and it's just I think it's a common thread among high performers that sometimes it's just the thing you go for is not the easy thing. Um, right. So it's, I, I just find that fascinating that I keep hearing that over and over and over again. It's like I'm not going to ease my way into this. I'm going big. Um yeah. And it's just part of part of your personality. Um, and then the other common thread that I hear is just the bonds, the friendships that come from the, uh, from sport. Um, and I've heard it about triathlon in particular because of the level of training that has to go into it, that when you are bonding with a community, the bond is very, very tight. And I love that you guys called yourself team win. It almost sounds like a mantra, like your goal was just to get through it. But you keep telling yeah. yourselves like we're winners. We're, we're winning. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, if you keep saying that, you're going to feel it, you know? It kind of was that way. And it was almost intentional, but like not intentional, but intentional because there we all were with each other when we were at our worst moments and we'd be like, but we're on team win. So you got to do it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, um, it would keep us moving forward. So whether it was, you know, training with heart rate for the first time and keeping each other accountable or, you know, suffering through saddle sores and long distance rides and all of it. I mean, we saw the worst of the worst and we made it through, which I think speaks to that like humanity of sports that we all like, that's why we get suckered into watching the Olympics, right? Like the humanity and the drama and Mm -hmm. yes. So getting to, getting to live it, you know, even that our little slice is kind of, I think a big part of why I continue because it's like my tribe and my people, you know, I feel, I feel the most alive when I'm connecting to those same sorts of people that want to do these crazy adventure things that I want to do. So, yeah. yeah. And there's, I think every, every sport like this has a community. Like I do obstacle racing and Spartan racing and there's definitely a community and we all acknowledge kind of how crazy we are in in our thinking and our decision making and why would we want to do such a crazy thing but there are others that feel the same way and finding those people kind of validates how you feel about what you're out there doing oh yeah so how long were you doing triathlon before you shifted to pure cycling and why did you end up shifting to pure cycling well, I mean, it's a long story. There was a boyfriend involved. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, I did it's five all, years. It's always down to a man. No, just kidding. No, I know. I did uh, five years of tries pretty seriously and that I like didn't do anything else. I didn't do any other, other type of racing. That being said, I did get into long distance swimming there for a while. Um, yes, I got out of the get pool. Back to the water. Yep. Back to the water. Probably also because I had a boyfriend at the time who was a swimmer and we, it was just easy to like spend time together and swim for, you know, hour or two at a time. And, um, and he had done lots of long distance, like 10 K swimming type of things. And so I thought, sure, why not? Um, and I did a few long, like two and three mile swims out here. They have a swimming community too. So I got really into it. Um, I got really into swimming in the Bay in San Francisco Bay. We have an aquatic park where it's mildly safer to swim than just in the Bay, (laughs) but, um, it's still cold. And so when you are training for like, um, official competition, the swimming, you can't wear a wetsuit. So you can in triathlon, but not in swimming. Yeah. This is, this is like open water swimming, right? Open water, yeah. 50 degrees water in the yeah. Pacific. I interviewed, one of my first interviews was a, uh, open water swimmer in her sixties. Who's done like English <gasps> channel and yes. things like that. And she, yeah, she talked about how you, she doesn't wear a wetsuit. So it's no, fascinating. I bowed down to those people. So I'll yeah. tell you how we did it was, and this is very fast, but we started in February, but you're like, it's still winter. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. But the Bay, it doesn't get much colder or warmer throughout the whole year. So, you know, in February, it's still like 55 and you're like, Oh my God, but it's only 45 or 50 outside. So it was like, strip off your clothes, run in the water. You don't even think about it. Cause you don't have time to stand on the shore. Cause it's freezing. You get in, you swim five minutes, you get out and try to get your clothes back on before you freeze. And then you just slowly increase that time of the swim. And over time, like by months, you end up being able to swim 20 and 30 minutes at a time without feeling hyperthermic. So mm-hmm. uh, I'd say my favorite swim I ever did was, uh, and any swimmer listening, you need to go out and do the Trans Tahoe Relay. 
So you and four other, three other people can sign up, swim across Lake Tahoe. It's 11 miles. I'm already freezing thinking about it, by the way. Yeah. Lake Tahoe yeah. is cold. Yeah. But it is a swimmer's bucket list item. It was, I've done it twice now and I, I still love it. So anyhow, that's my little plug. I don't get anything for that, but it was amazing. My favorite swimming event ever. Yeah. I mean, it's just gorgeous up there too. So to, to experience that up there, but yeah. yeah, that's, I can imagine that one's tough. Yeah. So then I got uh, tired of doing long stuff. I got tired of riding long, doing Ironmans. And so I had dabbled in um, rondoning, which is a, whole niche sport within the niche sport of cycling where these people go on these long trips, 300 Ks, they're very specific and you can qualify for this very long race in France called the Paris Brest Paris. Um, so I was hanging out with these people and I did a couple of these rides and then I was like, this is insane. I don't, I don't want to ride long. It's just not my cup of tea. Um, and I mean like two and 300 Ks, like not my cup of tea at all. So, um, I was like, screw that stuff. I want to go fast. (laughs) So one of my good friends at the time, her husband was the president of my local um, bike shop, their cycling team. And so he invited me on a ride with one or two other women and we all decided to join. So that next year, that was 2007. So that next year in 2008, there were four of us women who were all beginners on the road. And so we all, learned how to race together. It was very fun. <laughs> I want to learn a little more about cycling and the cycling you do. I mentioned in in the intro, uh, USA Cycling Category 1 and Road Cycling Category 2 on the Velodrome. Can you explain a little bit about what that means? Yeah. So in cycling, there are categories, um, and it's basically an um, upgrade system. So everyone starts at the beginning. Um, back when I started, the women started at four. You were considered a four. You were a beginner. And then you can amass about 20 uh, points through placing well at your races. And so if you win, you get, say, four points or five points. And if you get second, you get four or three points. It just depends on how big the group of women you're racing against is. So the bigger the group, the more points you would get. So over time, say you do 20 races, you amass some points. Um, If you amass 20 points, you can move up to be uh, an intermediate or a category three. And then over time, you have to amass now 25 points. Um, and you have to only get points through racing. So you have to win races or place in the top three or five. And then, um, after 25 points as a cat three, you can upgrade to be a category two, which is kind of like in between intermediate and advanced. And then, um, the very pinnacle is category one and that is 30 points or 35 points. It's a lot of points. And, um, basically in my area, once you become a cat two, you're like, I'm never going to win another race again because so many professionals live here and they come to your races and they win everything. Mm-hmm. And so as I started my cat two, um, as a cat two, I spent many years getting dropped out of races because you're all of a sudden thrust from intermediate racing with girls who you've come through the ranks with to now racing with women who've been racing for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Um, and they're very strong and they're very smart. So, um, there's a big learning curve going from three to two. And then honestly going from two to one is just like, you don't get anything extra. It's nothing interesting. It's basically serves as a goal for you to do (laughs) if you choose. Um, and then after category one, you're considered, you would be, um, Nobody gets a professional license unless you're on a professional team. So um, if you get picked up and go to a professional team, whether it's local, I mean, uh, domestic, so USA professional team, or if you go to Europe, you would have an international license. So basically category one is like the end that you can go. Um, So when I talk to people who don't know much about cycling, I just say I'm a semi-professional in that I'm not, I don't get paid to race my bicycle and I race with the professionals. Um, so that's the main difference. So I was one year, I was just like, I really want to be a cat one. So I worked really hard and I did it. Uh, took, it was, I had to race like 52 races that year. So, um, (laughs) and I think I came in fourth, like 25 times. (laughs) Anyway, so, um, one point at a time I made it. So, uh, you know, but I'm a very goal driven person. And I think that that's similar to a lot of other masters athletes. Like that's how we operate. And so that year I was like, I I really want to, you know, try for it. So I did. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how moving up works. And then apparently, so I just started racing on the track, which is the velodrome. It's in San Jose. And, uh, once I passed all of their beginner requisites, 
I can then um, write them a letter and say, I'm a category one on the road. Could I please get my upgrade? And they very nicely upgraded me to be a two. And that means that I can now go uh, to race the track with my age group or with elites. So other people who race um, in their, they're not age group, they're just open, you know, category one, two, and three. Um, and I don't have to kind of work my way up from a five to a four to a three to a two again, because they're like, oh, you have 12 years of racing experience. I think you're good. Um, yeah. So you got a little that, bit of an accelerated track on, on the track. I was lucky. Yeah. I'm lucky that our, um, folks let us, or our association and USA cycling lets us do that. So, yeah. um, that just meant that then once I started racing, I was able to then just go ahead and start racing masters track, which isn't huge here where there's just not that many, I mean, it's a niche sport within a niche sport. So, <laughs> but it was still fun for me to go out and, um, race against all these women and, um, try in my age group to see how I measured up. So. Yeah. What, do you, what do you prefer between road or velodrome? Well, let's see. I feel like they're each their own. I can't say I prefer one or the other. They're both extremely, extremely fun. Um, and I want to, I want to say that I would like what I like them. So I'll just tell you what I like the most about sure. each. So I like the most about the velodrome is that you can race four or even five races in an afternoon. Uh, whereas in, in the road, you race one race and you're done. So but within that, um, I love the velodrome. When you do five races, you have to tactically think on your wheels or on your feet, if you will, um, five times to figure out what's happening in your races. So it re- truly is like a rolling chess match on wheels. Um, so you're always thinking critically about what move you're going to make or not make. And in the road, it's similar, but it's on a longer drawn out scale. So the races last much longer, anywhere from an hour to four hours. I just did a four hour race this last weekend. So versus a couple of minutes to 20 minutes on the track. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely, it sounds like two completely different beasts and, and different strategy plans of attack for yeah. both. Yeah. But what's great is they both relate back to each other. So you can use the skills from each towards the other. So let's talk about the entirety of your race career. And we can we can go from cycling. We can talk about cycling. We can talk about triathlon. We can talk about swimming. But can you take us back to what, we, what you would consider your worst, hardest, or most difficult competitive event or just your worst day competing? Sure. Oh, my gosh. I think the one stands out, like, literally, if you were like, what is your worst day on the bike ever? I would tell you it was, well, there are two. They kind of match. So they're similar in nature. I was one at Redlands uh, Cycling Classic, which is, like, the longest, most professional uh, stage race in the country. And it happens in the spring. This particular year, it happened in May. And um, the world, the country's best climber was there. So, and this is a... um, this is a professional women's race, so it's not by age group. And I was a part of a composite team. So I was on this really great team from Northern California. We're all in Southern California doing this race. And it's probably the first race where it's been hot. And it was for me because um, we live in NorCal where it doesn't get that hot. Mm-hmm. So um, heat really matters when you're on a bicycle. Like if you start getting dehydrated, you start making bad decisions and your ability to react is much reduced and you then you're just kind of melting. So So, um, I had a day where I was with the Peloton through three of the four laps, let's say, or might've been, uh, three, two of the four laps. And then halfway through the third lap, I kind of got distance, what we call dropped or fell off the back. And so we've been going around the same closed course and now I'm all by myself on the same closed course. I don't have a moto. And it turns out that they open the course when you're not going through it. So it looked totally different. And I, w- I come through to this intersection where I think I turn, but I'm not really sure. And there's all sorts of weirdness going on. There's, you know, the volunteers are not paying attention. So they direct me to go one way and I should have gone another. So I literally got lost off the course, found, figured out my mistake because I saw a sign, um, for the the end of the race. I was like, I'm not supposed to be here yet. So then I turned around, got back on the course. But by this point in this race, if you don't make the time cut, it's a certain percentage of the winner's time. You are done. You don't get to race the next day. So I'm in this professional race. I'm lost. I got back on course and I'm time trialing my heart out to get to the long climb at the end. And remember it's hot. So now there's no wind. I'm climbing forever. I don't, I'm not a climber. So that means I don't go uphill as fast as some people. And I'm literally seeing people like scattered on the side of the road, having heat stroke, like professional oh riders, like 
Yeah, they're like bent over their bikes. They're like throwing up. They're doing all their things. And I was just like, I just hope to make time cut. I just hope to make time cut. And I'm still eating and I'm still drinking. And, um, and my feet then start blowing up because when you get hot, your feet swell. And I could hardly push the pedals because my feet hurt so bad. And so I'm like, how do you climb a hill when you can't push down the pedals? And I just had this mantra of like, I will not give up. And I just kept saying that to myself. And I finally got to the top and I heard them announcing the winners and they were doing their podium ceremony. And I literally found my team. We're in the shade. I threw my bicycle, laid down on the grass. I was like, declared that I was not going to move until somebody put me in a car and drove me home. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that was it. That was the worst day. And I came back and I was like, I probably didn't make time cut. And they're like, yeah, you didn't make time cut. And I was like, damn it. And I was like, but I felt lost and they told me to go the wrong way and it was hot. And, and they were like, it doesn't matter. It's a yeah. professional race. They don't care. Yeah. It's not our responsibility. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was my responsibility. So, you know, lesson learned. I probably could have fought a little like with the officials um, and not like fight, but just like argued my case and they might've let me stay in. But honestly, at that point I was like, I don't give a shit anymore. This race sucks. Mm-hmm. I am done. I want to go and home. Then, yeah. And then the next day I was like, I wish I would have fought oh. a little harder, <laughs> but um, that was probably my worst, worst day on the bike. Yeah. And it was tough mentally, physically, emotionally. I mean, and yeah, it took probably two days to recover from being so dehydrated and so exhausted. (laughs) So yeah, that was it. And then, you know, you talked about how you, you realized you probably should have fought harder to get back in the next day. Would you consider that the most important thing you learned or did you learn anything else that kind of stuck with you from that event? Um, so yeah, learning moments. I mean, there's so many, like one is, you know, I feel like there was a point when I was getting dropped and I should have put my head down and just tried harder. Cause they, they were, they did slow up, you know? And so I should have just tried like gutted it out a little bit longer. And that one I've carried through, like, if you feel like giving up, just try for 30 more seconds, maybe you'll make it, maybe you won't. But in that case, I would have made it. And then secondly is, um, pay attention to where you're going at all times, even in a race, because it may, you know, you may find yourself off the back or off the front and you don't know where to go. It's your fault. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, then third was really like the importance of a mantra, you know, whether it's, I will not give up or I am strong or just having something to rely on. So, uh, because you cannot think two things at the same time. And so I've really focused on mental game. And when you're going through it, if you can just block out the pain by saying something to yourself and, you know, you start to believe it. So I've, I've tested it in training when I'm on my bicycle in my garage, it's pouring down rain and it's disgusting outside and I'm pissed off cause I can't ride outside, but, um, slogging it through some intervals. And I even did like an AB test where like interval one, I did the intervals and then interval two, I did the same intervals, but I was repeating my mantra and it was actually like 5% better on interval set two. So it's a true freaking thing. So science, I, that's science right there. That's a scientific uh, experiment. Anecdotal, but still. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. I'm calling it science. Me too. <laughs> so so if it works, it works. Yeah, it, it works for you. And I, I believe that too, because it, it's easy to let your mind go to a dark place in a lot of these races. And if you can just kind of snap your mind back to what you're doing and just a short mantra, just saying a quick thing, like I will not give up, can just snap your mind back out of that dark place and back to a, a place of focus. Yes. And it's so, so important. Yeah. So on the other side, uh, tell me about your favorite race, your best day. Um, well, and I've had a few good races as of late. I would say one that sticks out, um, I feel like there's a theme. Can I go with a theme? Cause it's sure. like this happened several times last year. So as you know, I'm seasoned 40. I was racing age 40 last year. Now I'm racing yeah. age 41. You're lightly and, seasoned. Yes. Yeah. And I am racing against women who are literally like half my age now. And so, um, that just means like physiologically they can recover a lot faster and they have, um, I mean, generally they can recover faster and they have the ability to kind of go quicker, if that makes sense. So they can attack, recover fast, attack again, recover fast, attack again, recover fast. So that's what kind of what I'm dealing with. So for me, I have to use my smarts a little more and not my brawn. And so in this particular race, I was getting attacked every time up this small little hill, a power hill. And like the 25th time they attacked, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm fly. I'm falling off the back. I cannot stay on. And I fell off the back and I was so mad at myself. And I was like, that's it. You're just going to chase. Um, 
it was a one mile co- uh, course in a criterium in downtown somewhere up in Northern California, even North of here. And so I fell off the back and, um, the girls that had made it up the, up the breakaway though are, let's say there were five of them, maybe four, um, but they were not working well together. And I could see that up the road. So I just kind of put it in new, not neutral, but like put it in cruise control into my time trial mode. And, um, I knew that I could work my strengths by working the, um, false flat. And I'm really strong on a false flat cause I'm a strong person. I'm just my, I'm heavy I'm, for a cyclist. I have a lot of muscle. So going uphill, it works against me, but on a false flat where it's not super uphill, it works for me. And it definitely works for me in the downhill. So I'm railing the corners going as fast as I can. And I can see that I'm catching them slowly, but surely reeling them in. My teammates are like, you're doing it. They had all been dropped as well. They're like, you're <laughs> you're chasing back on. They would give me time gaps. It was like 30 seconds, 25 seconds, 20 seconds, 15 seconds. And then with like four laps to go, I was back in the Peloton and they were like, Oh crap, the sprinter is back. What do we do? And, um, so on the last lap, I, I somewhere somehow found the grit to like sprint up that stupid hill that I kept getting dropped on. I was still with the Peloton and I was like, this is it. It's a downhill sprint to the finish. This is my jam. And the girls who were in front of me were like, I knew you were coming. I could feel it. I didn't want to look. I thought, no way she's tired, but no way. So I fell off the back of that pack. I got back on and then I sprinted against them and beat them to come in like third or fourth overall. Um, and that was like a fine moment of like, don't give up. You never know what's going to happen. So that is kind of bike racing in a nutshell. (laughs) It is extremely, uh, cruel and then and then all of a sudden you're back in the game yeah and it's never too late for you to to come back from behind and and uh use your strength use your grit use your your mental game and get back in the game your mental game yeah and i'm finding that my mental game has really been an asset in the last year so i had like three races that went like that and then it happened again not like three weeks ago in another race to me i fell off the back i time trialed back on i passed everybody and came in fourth nice (laughs) So it was just like, what is happening? This is a new phase in my life. But, um, but that first initial ability to do that created that like refusal to give up because I knew that I could get, there is always a possibility to get back on the podium, even though you've been dropped and out of the race, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. You're never fully out of the race unless you believe you are and you let yourself yeah, be out of or the you're race. literally laying on the ground. <laughs> well, sure. There's that too. Then, then maybe, yeah, you could be like, okay, this is, this is feasible. I'm out of the race. Now. Totally. That, that was probably some of my best stuff on the bike as of late in the last month and last um, couple of months for sure. Well, that's gotta be cool as a seasoned athlete to know that this is, this is a tool in your toolbox that others who are younger than you may not be able to fully utilize yet. Yep. Let's talk about that a little bit because yeah. uh, something I wanted to ask is um, what kind of benefits you've discovered that can only come with age? Would you say this would be a big one, just the the mental focus? Yeah, I would definitely say that. There's a shift somewhere when you upgrade. So you go to four to three and then three to two. And when you go from that intermediate to advanced bike racing, you are all of a sudden up against women who've been racing in the professionals for 10 or 15 years, maybe. And you just realize like, Whoa, I I know nothing. I know nothing. I need to learn. And so I became a real student of the sport, watching, watching professionals race on TV or on the internet, um, talking to my friends who know a lot more than me, um, and learning from them and having them show me what to do. So now I'm on the other side of that. And now it's my turn to give back and showing my younger counterparts, like how to, how to read a race and what that means and how to um, be in the right place in your positioning. So for example, there are, um, uh, several women on my team now who are, you know, early twenties, mid twenties, and they are, we went to training camp. I can tell you up down and center, like they are way stronger than I am at this point, but they don't have the experience and cycling is as, as a, um, is a sport that very much rewards experience. So once you've kind of seen it all, done it all, you, um, been to a lot of different types of races and under a lot of different types of conditions. And you keep filing that information away in your head. And now as sitting here in my 12th or 13th season, I think it's 12th season of racing, I can come to the table and say, so illuminating an example, just last Saturday in a race is a very long race. And, um, in the very first 
let's say 20 miles early in the race, um, some crosswinds, like very much, very strong coming from the left-hand side across to the right-hand side. Well, if you're not very attuned or understanding of how a wind can really affect your race, then you are going to be at a disadvantage. And so my, my teammates who are very much stronger than me were not necessarily savvy on understanding what was happening with the wind. So it, it, ends up that they're generally sitting in the wind the whole time, taking the full brunt of the wind. And I was holding on the same speed, but using two thirds less energy than they were to stay at the same speed. So, and then the way the race plays out, there's a team and they notice that um, they're trying to go for the win. And they notice that the girl who's currently winning is nowhere near them. So the team went to the front of the race and put their heads down and just made it extremely hard. So if you were not paying attention, you were not noticing that the race speed had picked up, you would have then just fallen off the back because there with you have four kind of workhorses at the front pushing like 30 miles an hour on a bicycle if you're not in the slipstream all of a sudden now you have to push 30 miles an hour on a bicycle and most people can't hold that so it behooved me with my 12 years of experience knowing where the draft was and then I felt even though I was in the middle of taking a drink and a gel I was like, oh, no, it all of a sudden got faster. And I would literally mid-gel, I'd like the packet in my mouth. I put both hands on the bars, put my head down, and sprinted to catch up because I knew that that split was going to happen. Whereas my teammates were like, I didn't even see a split happen until you guys were like 200 yards up the road. And so that was the main difference was knowing and feeling and understanding And because I'd been in there that situation several times. And I can't very well explain it to somebody when it's happening because you're breathing very hard. Yeah. But I could say you need to go to the front and um, some girls were able to get there and the others were not so um, that is where experience really plays plays in right because I'm still only two-thirds as strong as they are but because I knew where to be I was able to make it happen and they were like you made the breakaway and we didn't (laughs) yeah you're like I know every nuance of this race yeah cycling really pays that forward yep so uh, on the other side are you noticing any new fun challenges that you've encountered now that you've broken the 40 barrier? Yeah, I'd say it probably started around 38. I have now, I now take like two recovery days after a big race or a big effort um, on a weekend. Whereas like before, up until probably 35, 37, I was like one day rest and then I can get back at it. You know, like Monday rest, Tuesday, let's go. Um, but now I'm like, oh, Tuesdays are still tough. (laughs) So, and then to combat that, I've really dialed in more nutrition and supplementing like iron and BCAAs since they've really burst on the scene, the BCAAs have, um, and iron has always, but I've really focused on nutrition. So eating very nutrient dense foods, much more so than I used to. And, um, that has helped a tremendous amount so that, Like, for example, this past weekend, I knew I was going to have a crazy week, so I really front-loaded all my nutrition. I had everything ready to go, and I um, had no excuse to not eat well. (laughs) And because of that, I was felt pretty good by Tuesday afternoon, whereas normally I would be coming out of my fog a little later on Wednesday. So I noticed the difference. That was nice. But yeah, yeah, definitely taking me longer. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to kind of work and focus on setting yourself up for success in advance. Oh, absolutely. But that's also experience where, um, Mm -hmm. I feel, um, like if I had done that in my twenties and thirties, I might've even been better. (laughs) Sure. Sure. But you just didn't, you didn't know any better back then. You didn't know any better. You didn't have to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause you were 20. You're like, I can just rely on my, my youth and my athletic prowess and I don't have to recover. So as a trainer and coach, you likely have clients that have come to you seeking out a new challenge in their lives. Possibly someone who may be a little bit older and has never competed, but now is looking to step outside of their comfort zone. And as you know, that could be a really scary thing. So what advice would you give to someone like this? So somebody who's new and they're doing a new challenge, right? So are they like maybe they want to try triathlon or maybe they want to try cycling or running or it's just something, you know, it's like sometimes we reach that age where it's like, I need to test myself in some way and I never have before and I don't know the first thing and it's scary. Um, and as a coach, uh, I, I don't know if you encounter people like this, but if you do, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, well, and I'll come from my coaching background. When I talk to my folks who are new, like I want to try a gravel race this year and I've never even ridden on dirt. And so, um, but my, I just really break it down. And I think that's 
one area where I can excel is that I see a goal and people think, Oh, you know, like I've done Ironman. I mean, once you've done Ironman, you know, or like Spartan race, like everything Mm -hmm. is just variations of shades of that. Right. So I was like, you can do it. People can do anything they put their mind to, but let's break it down into small bite-sized chunks. So you're not so overwhelmed. So the first thing I do with people, especially if they haven't been exercising and, or looking after their nutrition is really, I'll say, Hey, first of all, I'll have them fill out a form of like, where are you at right now? But in addition, I'll just say, I don't, I will give you a a training schedule to get going, but really what I want you to focus on is establishing a habit. And that habit is meal prepping. So making sure you're eating the right foods and here's some recipes and here's how, you know, I'll cover all of that with them. And then also establish the habit of workout. When are you going to work out? Morning, night, make it a habit. And I always say in those, that first month, even I'll say it really, I know I'm your coach. I know I'm inspiring you, but I really don't care what you do as long as you get out and do it. So if I say you need to go ride 50 miles and you only ride 10, I'm still happy because you're establishing the habit and the body when it's going from zero to 60, it's got aches and pains. But if you can stay on the consistency train, you're going to be successful. So more than what you do, I want you to just do it. So meaning just get out there, get on your bike, get on your run and just do a third of the workout or a half of the workout if that's what you feel up to. And that really opens up people's eyes to see that they don't have to be all or nothing. And that also takes away that scary factor of training. I think training gets a bad rap, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you can break it down into that, I'm your coach and I really don't care what you do right now, as long as you get out and do something. And then once you establish the habit, I said, that's the most important part. And then once you establish the habit, we can talk about what you need to be doing and how you should be doing it. But I can't really help you until you are consistent. And then it's those little consistent steps you do every single day that will get you to your goal. Um, and I just really make sure that people enjoy the process more than the outcome, right? The outcome is just yeah. the fun, like we made it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the process, if you're not enjoying the process of the training or the eating or whatever it is that you're going to do, then you're not going to really enjoy your goal. Yeah. And, and you need to want to do it. So I always impart people on that. Make sure you really know your why. And then, and then I'm here to help you enjoy the process. Yeah. And I think that's so important, the the focusing on the process and enjoying the process, because I think so many people come to to fitness for a variety of reasons, whether it is to, you know, run a race or ride, you know, do a bike race or run a Spartan race or lose weight. Um, you know, they, they, they have their eye on that outcome and that's all they think about. And if they don't see that outcome happening. If they don't see the the progress immediately, they can get very frustrated. And so helping them focus on enjoying the fact that they're getting up and moving and doing something every single day and being around community, uh, you know, stuff like that. It's like if you can shift that focus over to the process, then, you know, every day is a success. When yeah. you get up and you show up for your workout, that's a success and that's a win. Yeah. Um, if you eat that healthy meal, that's a success and that's a win. Um, so I think that can get lost sometimes. So it's really nice to, to hear about you focusing on that and helping people focus on that. Yeah. And I think that people come up with these wild, you know, I mean, it's almost like every day you see another like crazy race, enter this, you know, whether it's a bike race or a Spartan race or a, you know, there's always that next level and people like to use that for motivation, but they're also quite scared. And I like to take away the scare factor. I'm like, you can do anything. If you're willing to put in the work, you can do anything. Um, and, and quite often people are surprised and then they go about thanking me. I'm like, dude, I didn't do anything. You're the one who ran and did all the, you know, work. I just showed you what was possible. Uh, and that's really gratifying. as a coach, you know, getting people to where they want to be. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit more. So, um, you, you own Axel Fitness Works, right? That it's your training business and your coaching business. Um, tell me about, you know, what you're specifically doing to help people there and at 17th street athletic club in San Francisco. Well, I want to say, so my, um, Axel Fitness Works is comprised of, I think I have about nine cycling clients right now. And that means that they're generally riding either to like complete an event or um, they're training for cycling, for road cycling mostly. Um, and so I, I 
love the diversity of men, women, old, young that I get to work with through that community. Um, and primarily I work with them online, mostly through an, a software called Training Peaks where they are prescribed a workout. It comes to their email. They do the workout. They immediately upload the data back to me. And then we can have an interface back and forth about how things are going. Um, and then I have personal training clients right now. And we primarily work out outside. Um, I take it outside for Axel Fitness Works personal training because um, I don't have my own facility, which is just fine right now. I don't know if you know anything about the San Francisco Bay Area, but our overhead is insane in terms of rain. Uh, yeah. But on the other side, I mean, aside from some rain and some fog, you probably have pretty good weather to work out outside. Generally, we do. Yeah. We even stuck it out in the rain last Tuesday. And it was like it spit for a little while and then it stopped. You know, that's just kind of we're lucky that way for the most part. Um, and so I work uh, primarily, I'd say my personal training clients are all women uh, over 50 who are entered menopause. And so that's been a really fun challenge for me, not only researching and learning more about how the body works with, um, you know, hormonal changes and how your exercise response changes with that, but also, you know, showing them that again, there are anything's possible if they want to work for it. So, um, it's really gratifying to help keep them sane through exercise, um, even though their body's changing and they're unhappy. And I know that it's coming for me too. And so, um, learning more and more about how I can positively help myself, you know, as I get closer to that age is really important to me because I don't want to stop just because my hormones, you know, go crazy. (laughs) And so, um, helping people, um, lose weight and also gain, gain and keep muscle tone is really been awesome for that population. Um, and then at 17th street, I run the gamut. I have indoor cycling, um, which I think is, it's kind of like my sweet spot and that I love doing it, but also maybe I've kind of jumped the shark a little and I need a little break. Like I might be getting burnout on it because I love cycling, but I also don't want it to take away my love for cycling, (laughs) but I love indoor cycling. And I love when you get a full class packed with energy and they are working for that goal, whatever it is, you got 25 bodies sweating in there all to that same, you know, similar rhythm. And they just, they feel it like they're, you know, they're kind of working together towards a similar goal, but all of their goals are individual in their head. Right. Uh, But like today, the outcome, you know, I was like, if you think you can go breathless one more time, let's do it. And everybody like, because they know their neighbor was doing it, they elevated their own level. And so they know that they can truly put in the work, even though they don't want to necessarily. Right. Cause nobody wants to, once you're at that level, it hurts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But they were like, I can do this at 6am. I can do that project at work or I can take care of this at home. You know, it just really yeah. helps them feel empowered for the rest of their day. And my hope is that they then go to their work or their home or wherever and have a positive impact on that community so that overall, eventually our world will get better. <laughs> everybody's paying that positivity forward. Yeah. So we also run some transformation challenges. I brought that into our studio and we have had so much fun with the community who do them each time. And then that really brings them into our fold. They get to see what we do daily, but also feel how good it feels to, you know, eat well, how good it feels to exercise most days and really elevate their level of feeling good about themselves. And I've, I feel like that's, you know, in, in days, my days past, I was really like, yeah, we can crush these intervals and we're awesome and we're strong. And, but anymore, I feel like people really connect with that feeling of self-worth and that feeling of how they feel after a workout. And, um, and I feel like even that ties into a little bit of the community with people talking about anxiety and depression and feeling stressed all the time. So I really have, since our retreat, um, when we met each other, I've really Mm -hmm. focused on helping people slow down at the end of workouts and they can feel their breath. They do feel themselves starting to slow down and keep their stress levels lower. And I've had people come up and be like, oh my gosh, that was the best part of the whole workout was just laying here for two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know. It's it's fascinating because I think a lot of people don't realize how beneficial working out can be for their mental health, yeah. for, for anxiety, for stress, and that getting up and coming to the gym can be so valuable for that aspect of their lives. It's not just yeah. about physical changes. It's about kind of centering yourself and removing a lot of that stress and anxiety that can be built throughout your workday, throughout your family life. Sitting in traffic. (laughs) Sitting in traffic and, you know, you're San Francisco, I'm LA. So I totally know that. Um, 
so yeah, it's just having that one hour where you're with people that you like and you're laughing and you're having fun. And, and it's, and so, you know, you have that one hour of your day where your mind is centered and you're not stressing out and that can be beneficial for the whole rest of your day and how, how important that can be. Yeah. I really stress that uh, filling up your own cup first and then, you know, pouring out your cup throughout the day, but being really careful that you keep enough for yourself and how moms, especially, I think don't do that enough. They don't put themselves enough, uh, put themselves first enough. And so I really, especially when I see people who I know were moms and dads coming in through my facility and I'm just like, put yourself first. Your kids will like you better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't give to everybody else in your life if you do not take care of yourself. Yeah. Like, you will flame out if you live like that constantly. So you have to take care of yourself first so that you can help everybody else in your life. Yeah. And I mean, I've been a, a recipient, I would say, um, really in the last three years of when you talk about mental health and mental well-being of exercise, and I, it really came to a head. I was on vacation, actually, so not doing my normal thing, and I was so mad. I had this. I mean, my husband and I never fight. Like we're super good buddies, and we we are super low key. We communicate well. But this one day in Hawaii, and we were fighting, and he was like, "You need to go exercise," and I was like, "Screw you!" And I was like, "You're right." You <laughs> and I put on my shoes and I went for a run, and I came back, and I was like, "That's it. I haven't exercised. Like I'm, my body is." accustomed to waking up and going straight to the gym and teaching. So I'm moving. And when I don't do that, the brain is totally confused and your body is like, feels sluggish and you feel tired all the time. And it finally clicked that, that third day on vacation, I was like, I have to exercise every single day. It's not a, I want to, it's not an, I get to, it's like, if I don't, I am a miserable human being. My mental capacity is nil. So, um, that really shifted my focus from like, Oh, I have to go, you know, to like, I need to do this for me, you know? And all of a sudden I was like, I'm just going to do a 30 minute trainer workout just for fun for me. Whereas before I'd be like, I'm not going to do it. I don't have to. And, um, you know, especially when you're on vacation, you don't have to do anything, but my best self is when I have a little workout in the morning, um, along with my breakfast and then, If I don't have that, I am literally the worst version of myself. So I really, again, that ties back to asking people how they feel and tying those good feelings to your exercise, your movement. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Your story reminded me of, I, you know, I just came off of a cruise myself and, um, you know, we were, my, I was on the cruise with my husband. We were like four or five days in and we were exhausted, just so tired. Yeah. Um, and we decided there was one day we were, uh, the port was Belize and we decided not to go. Um, we're like, we're just going to stay on the ship. And once we made that decision at the last second. And so he, my husband's like, I'm going to sleep. And he proceeded to go back to our cabin and sleep for like two hours. Cause that's what he needed. And yeah. I was like, I'm going to the gym and getting on the treadmill because yeah. that's, that's what I need. Um, yeah. And so we both kind of had these two different ways to take care of ourselves in that moment. And for me, it was getting a run in. Like I had yeah. to just get a little bit of running in um, yeah. and, it, and it was tough, but I, but I felt better having done it. So I totally, oh, okay. totally get it. And it recenters you and you're like, mm-hmm. you're fresh, your brain works. It's just part of yeah. my necessary brain chemistry forever forward. So, yes, yes. so yeah. And now, you know, now, you know, and you're like, okay, we're not going to skip this. Cause this is my, this is my time. This is my yeah. time to take care of myself. And I think as an athlete, one thing I would say is I think as an athlete that helps you stay consistent, yes. it's a byproduct, I suppose, but it helps you stay consistent. So you don't look at it as I have to do this workout. It's like, I don't do this workout. You're going to be a miserable human being. <laughs> and so you get to, you look forward to doing it. So, and it's a great shift when you shift to, I get to work out as opposed to, I have to get to train such a great shift. So before we go, do you have one parting piece of wisdom that you've learned in your competitive journey that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I think one, you know, we kind of touched on was just like, never give up. Like I will not give up and whatever that means to you in whatever context, because you can do things you didn't know you could do if you're, if you're willing to put in the effort or the work or the refusing to give up. So, um, I think that that is one valuable lesson I've learned in the last two years, but I wanted to leave my favorite quote. Um, and it kind of encapsulate everything we just talked about. Um, it's Muhammad Ali. And this is the quote, the fight is won or lost far away from witnesses behind the lines in the gym and out there on the road long before I dance under those lights. So I love that quote because it really kind of encapsulates that true 
you know, you guys are just seeing the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I'm a good athlete, but I work so hard, right? So I love that quote because it inspires people to remember, you know, when you're seeing people play on the field or watching them in their bike race or whatever, you're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. You're not seeing all of the countless sacrificial hours that go into it. It reminds me, there was somebody else I talked to on the show and his his whole thing was the the race, the event is the celebration. The training is the true test. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people, when they get out to do the race, they think that's the test. And it's really not. The race is the celebration of all of the effort and work and sacrifice and everything that you put in. That's the test. Every single day that you put in is the test. Um, yep. I've seen, I don't know if you've seen, there's like a, a animated graphic of um, people standing on a podium. And then there's a line. And then underneath the podium is like, all the words that led up to the podium. So, you know, training, grit, sacrifice, work, support, family, team, um, you know, everything that happens in the day to day that leads up to that moment. And that moment above the line is all anybody sees. Yes. But, but, you know, that's, that's what that quote talks about for me. That's, that's how that quote speaks to me that it's like, again, the day to day, the journey, that's, that's the test, that's the work. But, and it's so, so important because then, then you get to, if you, if you look at that as the test, the competitive event, that's the fun, that's a celebration, that's the party. Yeah. And I, you know, taking away from it, really releasing your outcome and not tying it to your self-worth, I think is another big thing that people, um, talk about nowadays, uh, especially with mental health, because a lot of athletes, even if they're master's athletes, they're not getting paid to do what they do, but they identify as a athlete or cyclist or whatever. Um, but we put so much pressure on ourselves to finish, you know, to hit that podium that above the line. And when you don't, you feel less than, and you're like, well, nobody can take away my hours of training and sacrifice, you know? So I think divorcing yourself from the outcome sometimes is really helpful, really good for your brain and really good for your, um, uh, what do I call it? Like self-worth, your feelings of self-worth. Yeah. So that was my last little bit of wisdom. I was kind of going through that with some teammates earlier this week, but I was reminded that like, if you can enjoy the process mm-hmm. and enjoy the journey and whatever happens on your race day, it is not equal who you are or how good you are <laughs> of a human, you know, in short, it does not define you. So finally, if someone wants to learn more about you, how can they do that? You can follow me on Instagram at Axel Rocks, and you can find us on 17thstreetathleticclub.com. And my old, soon-to-be-redone website, axelfitnessworks.com. So all of those, you can find all of how to get in touch with me through all of those venues. And, uh, of course, Facebook under my name, Marissa Axel. And that's Axel with two L's. Two L's. <laughs> I, I just think it's so but I also think it's so cool that you're a cyclist and your last name is Axel yeah like, that's pretty cool like I don't know if there was any intention whatsoever there no. but no nope, just sort of worked out that way it totally worked out that way yeah that's- and it kind of it's just this kind of a nice like tough last name you know Axel's cogs and also mm-hmm. um yeah it just works for fitness too because people are like Axel oh. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, when you talk about trusting the process, it's like the axle and the cogs are the machinery that make everything work. And that's all about the day to day in the process. Right. Exactly. The ground, the journey. Yeah, it is. So cool. I uh, would love to connect with anybody. DM me, whatever. Happy to answer questions and connect. So. Fantastic. And I'll put all of that information in the show notes for this episode on seasonathlete.me. So um, if you need to know how to spell anything or just, you know, don't want to rewind, <laughs> go on to go onto the website and it'll all be in there as well. So reach out to Marissa. Uh, and, and just to clarify, Axel Fitness Works, you said you do online training so people can live anywhere, right? Oh, yeah. So uh, and if you're in San Francisco, they can train with you in person at 17th Street Athletic Club. Correct. Awesome. So Marissa, thank you so much for being on the season athlete. Uh, you alluded to the fact that we met uh, recently at a retreat. We're at the Todd Durkin Mastermind Retreat. Um, and that's where we met and connected. And I'm glad that we got to make this happen uh, outside too. of the retreat. So magic happening from the retreat. Magic. In this podcast. So much magic. Yes. Thank you uh, for being on the show. And I look forward to seeing uh, how your journey progresses as a 
baby master. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. All right, seasoned athletes, here are a few top takeaways from Marissa Axel. Number one, your sport, hobby, or business endeavor should be fun. But that doesn't mean it won't have difficult moments. Learning how to push through those moments helps create grit and determination. Stick it out and try your best. And if it stops being fun in an overall sense, that's when you stop doing it. Number two, you can't think of two things at the same time. So when things get tough, have a mantra to rely on. When you can focus on the mantra, you can't focus on that pain cave that you might be in. So practice your mental game and develop the skill to block out the pain by saying something positive to yourself. And number three, realize that the outcome you are seeking is not tied in with your self-worth. Learn to revel in the process and know that nobody can take away your hours of training and sacrifice. And remember, whatever happens on your race day does not equal who you are and how good you are. Thanks again to Marissa Axel. Thank you for listening to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. The music you heard in this episode is from the coolest person to come from my high school, Jason Achilles. Learn more about him at jasonachilles.com. Do you know someone who would make a great guest on the show? Or do you have a unique and inspirational story to share? Shoot us an email, seasonedathlete at gmail.com. Check out our entire library of episodes and get to know our distinguished seasoned athlete alumni at seasonedathlete.me. And if you live in the Los Angeles area and are feeling super inspired to train like a seasoned athlete, visit rutsm.com and learn about how to train with me to help bring out the seasoned athlete in you. Now go out there and embrace your extraordinary, my fellow seasoned athletes, because you so can.